This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Years ago, there was a famous singer with a very strange name. His name was Engelbert Humperdinck. And he sang a song that said this, Without love, I am nothing. Nothing at all, without love. Well, here's the deal. God says, I am love. So let me ask you a question. If you believe that God is love, are you saved? I'm just letting a little bit of uh, silence, uh, pregnant silence to go forth. Are you saved if you believe that God is love? Well, let me ask you another question. Let's suppose that you believe that God is truth, or that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you saved? The easy answer to that question is no. You know why? Because the devil believes the same thing. So what does it mean to believe the gospel? What does it mean to be justified by faith? What is faith anyway? And what is grace anyway? So if the just shall be saved by faith, which is an Old Testament principle in Habakkuk 2.4, repeated only by the Apostle Paul, then what is faith anyway? Who can be justified? And how are they justified? And when the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that we are justified by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast, what does he mean? What is grace? What is the faith wants to deliver to the saints? And how will we endure to the end if we don't have to do anything? Today on Viewpoint, we're going we're to ask a whole lot of questions and provide a whole lot of answers, hopefully, and it's going to require perhaps some of our listeners to put on a seatbelt, maybe a head harness, because there might be a lot of questions that might cause a knee-jerk reaction, maybe a sudden jolt of the neck. But hang in there, my friends, because we're going to have a great conversation here on Viewpoint with a new friend, Matt Friedman, who, together with others, has written a book called The Doctrine of Good Works. Hmm, The Doctrine of Good Works? I thought we were talking about being justified by faith. Well, we are. Is it possible that there's a both-andness to this, And be very careful with your knee-jerk reaction because there are a lot of weeds out there. There are a lot of weeds out there in the Red Sea of this issue, and we're going to have to cut down a lot of the weeds because they're obscuring the truth. So again, today on Viewpoint from Jackson, Mississippi, a new friend, Matt Friedman, with the book, The Doctrine of Good Works. Matt, it's good to have you on the program, my friend. Well, it's a real honor to be here with you, Chuck. Thank you very much. Well, if you believe that God is love, do you need anything else? <laughs> well, first off, God's a lot of things. Love is one of them. Oh, oh okay. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean God is not a soundbite personality? Uh, amen to that. Oh, uh, the, so wait a minute, wait a minute. 
when we quote a verse like, we're saved by grace through faith, that none of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, is that the complete story? Well, the next verse is nice. What is that? Yeah, your is workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Okay, well, some might say, well, yeah, yeah, uh, that's after the story. Uh, I'm a believer, uh, but I, I should be doing good works, but uh, I'm not inclined to do so. So, therefore, I count myself as being a believer, and now... As one pastor said on the radio, I can do whatever I want. I can rob banks. I can uh, commit adultery. I can fornicate. I can do whatever I want because I'm in like Flint. What say you? Well, there's a there's a long history dating all the way back to, oh, I don't know, Genesis that would suggest otherwise. <laughs> Good works are like necessary for salvation, salvation because they have a necessary connection to true faith, and without good works, there's no true faith. And so, in other faith, words, truth and all, faith and all these words have to be defined. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it's just nice to read the whole Bible and read in context and then kind of reflect on... I, one of the great things about our faith, Chuck, is that we have a, a rich tradition of people thinking deeply about these things. It's true. What's fascinating about this book we've written is... Uh, we've kind of amassed some great quotes from mostly Calvinists and Lutherans back in the day that have suggested, hey, guess what? This is a necessary dynamic of salvation. Well, that is going to require some real conversation. And so, friends, I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And don't think you know what we're actually saying or that what we're going to say, because you don't. We're going to have a conversation. That's what we're going to do. It's as if Matt and I are sitting in the living room or the family room, and we're going back and forth with what we understand of the Scriptures and what others have understood of the Scriptures, and we're going to go back and forth, and we're going to discuss this issue openly because it is of significant importance. It's of significant importance, it seems to me, particularly because several times in the Gospels, Matt, Jesus said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. What is he talking about? Is he talking about somebody who lives to the second coming? Or is he talking about somebody who stands fast in his his trust, his belief, his obedience, uh, is following the word, will, and ways of God to the end. What's he talking about? Yeah, well, I think a good bit of that's uh, obedience. And you'll do what Jesus has asked you to do, and that's, uh, that's a pretty inclusive statement. I mean, we're suggesting making disciples, but making disciples that work, making disciples that have fruit, making disciples that make disciples. I mean, so, you know, work is right at the center of this whole thing of enduring to the end. Don't well, it about. certainly is, and particularly, we almost have to start work uh, defining the word disciple. And no. interestingly, we've had a lot of trouble with really translating what the Bible says. For instance, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said that uh, we should go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching people to obey everything that I've commanded. So the essence of the Great Commission is not evangelism, 
It's discipleship, isn't it? There's no question. And in that whole passage, there's one main verb. There's three participles, the main verb, the main thing, the main teaching. You could say it's the only teaching, and the other things help understand that teaching is make disciples. Matitisate in the Greek, and everything else, going, baptizing, teaching, helps us to do that central thing. Well, a lot of people think, well, making a disciple means to get them to make a confession of faith. And I think that's a large part of our American problem in understanding the teachings of Jesus Christ and his expectations, particularly in light of these end times. We'll be right back with our special guest, Matt Friedman, the doctrine of good works. Is there such a doctrine? That would be a teaching. Stay tuned, friends. The book is going to be available on our website, and you're going to want to get a copy. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint, friends. Today we're talking about a subject that, well, some might say angels, uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread because there's so many different ideas and thoughts and viewpoints that people will express with passion. Uh, for instance, uh, they would rather be crucified on some particular theological word phrase than they would on the cross of Christ. In fact, they'd much rather do that because they don't want to be crucified on the cross of Christ. They don't want to take up their cross. They want to take up issues. Well, today on Viewpoint, we are taking up an issue, as we always do, but we're confronting these issues from God's perspective, from the bigger perspective. Now, Matt, uh, I think I indicated to you uh, just before the program that I practice law as a trial attorney in Southern California for 20 years. And so I'm yes, thinking I'm, I'm thinking about this subject, and uh, uh in your book, you cover quotations from uh, time immemorial, all kinds of quotations and discussions by theologians par excellence. And I'm thinking, okay, if I were going to present this subject to a jury of my peers, how would I do it? Well, I certainly wouldn't fill it with, you know, thousands of quotations because they wouldn't get it. They'd just be shaking their heads. Because these are supposed to be 12 reasonable people, not 12 theologians, 12 reasonable people. So the Bible is presented to reasonable people. It's presented to people who God expected to be able to understand what he was saying. Jesus expected people to understand what he was saying if they had a will to do so. Isn't that our real problem yeah, I think will. I think is an extremely important dynamic here, and I think if you make disciples by sitting around and talking, which is the, probably the key thing we do in America, is we make disciples by sitting around and talking. We shouldn't be surprised if our disciples sit around and talk, and that's in the essence of American Christianity. <laughs> well, indeed, it is, and in fact, discipleship doesn't consist so much in our churches of teaching people to obey God. 
rather than to teach people the doctrine of their particular denomination. And uh, therein lies a problem. We're superseding the will of God with the will of man, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I, I think part of the problem here is, Chuck, that uh, leadership, and I'm, ta- I'm, a, I'm a pastor as well as a seminary professor, uh-huh. and uh, so I'm training pastors. But if I'm going to tell them, you need to go into your churches and you need to lead the way out to the prison or lead the way out to the abortion clinic or lead the way out to the uh, nursing home or lead the way to the elementary school to have a Bible club, they need to see the pastor doing it. Those pastors in training need to see their professor. Uh, unfortunately, that's me. They need to see me doing it. So the whole point is we need to lead by example, lead by doing it. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he said, follow me. Literally, get up and come after me, and we're going to go out to the demoniacs. So we're when, going to go out to people with seizures. We're going to go out to the blind and to the lepers. So when the brother of Jesus, James, said... But be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Maybe he was piercing through American churchianity ahead of time. And just like his uh, brother, and just like, uh, you know, Jesus was doing that. Jesus saying those kinds of things. James just comes up and uh, for a, a little bit of a later generation adds clarity to it and said, we've got to be this kind of people. Faith without works is dead. So you can have a dead faith. You can have an alleged faith, and let's put let's put our faith on trial. We're going to present an opening statement to the jury, and we here's the question: Is this man truly a man of genuine Christian faith? That would be the question. Now, can you prove? Can you be a, Can you be confirmed? Believe strongly enough? by a preponderance of the evidence to believe that this man is truly a Christian. On what, what basis would you make that decision? On what basis so, would like Jesus make that decision? I would like to know what he thinks. I would like to know what he says. But more than either one of those, I want to know what he does. And what does he do based on what kind of dynamic, what kind of workforce, and what kind of obedience is he about? But the biggest part of this thing has always been and always will be what is it we're doing with our hands and with our feet. Okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you wouldn't tell him it's what he believes? Yes, because belief is not just your mind. Believe is not just with your mouth. Believe is with your life. That's actually what leaf means in the Old English, life. It's also what it means in the Hebrew. And there you go. So, you know, I'm, I'm from a gambling state here, Chuck, unfortunately. Uh-oh. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what it meant, and, and, and Pascal said this, right? Blaise Pascal wrote the famous Ponce's. Blaise Pascal says, wager your life. Bet your life on God. Not just bet your mind, not just bet your, your mouth, but bet your entire life on God. If you do that, that means you follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you go out to uh, the, 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 the margins of culture. You go out to the people who are in need. You go out, you run to the sound of the pain. And I, I fear that's what our churches don't want to do, is run to the sound of the pain. They are, we're too, uh, too busy sometimes running to the sound of our comfort. It's interesting, this word believe, uh, I think is one of the most misunderstood and disbelieved words in the New Testament. And uh, when we use the word believe from a Greco-Roman viewpoint, of which most of us here in America uh, come from, 
it contains the idea that I believe certain facts. And so the nature of our discipleship is to teach certain facts about the Bible, certain facts about who Jesus is or who God is. And then when we assert those facts in our minds, we say we believe. The problem is the devil believes every one of them, doesn't he? Oh yeah, no question about it. Yeah, so I don't want I I but I don't want to diminish facts. And I don't want to diminish memorization. I don't want to diminish reading. No, neither do I. Things are, but all those things need to feed our doing. And if they don't feed our doing, I don't think we can uh, base. I don't think we can say we're saved. All right. Now that's a very powerful statement. That's a very powerful statement. And there is going to be a day of judgment. Some people, some theologians now are saying that, well, the issue isn't uh, whether you're saved or not. The issue is whether you're going to get rewards. So if you did good works, if you did something that was was, was honorable and just and uh, consistent with God's word, will, and ways, then you're going to get rewards. Otherwise, you're just going to skate in by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin into the pearly gates because you made a confession. Is that the essence of the gospel? I don't think it's the essence of the gospel. Uh, I think I think that's what a lot of people hope is the essence of the gospel, because those people are hoping that are hoping that they don't don't need to be bothered with the demands of the gospel. Which, by the way, I want to talk about demands. I want to talk about obedience, but I also want to talk about how that is the abundant life here and now. It's not just hey, pick up your cross and bleed with me. But it's also, <laughs> hey, when you deny yourself, take up the cross, and you follow me to the sound of the pain, that's abundance. Mm, that's the mm. glory of the Lord. That's good stuff right there. Well, it is. And uh, so what we're trying to do is brush aside all the theological weeds and the smoke screens that are thrown up in order to protect certain theological constructs and to look at it realistically to look at it honestly from God's viewpoint, from Jesus' viewpoint. I mean, didn't Jesus confront the Pharisees of his day who were the most Bible-believing people in Israel? They were the creme de creme de creme. They believed the Bible from the Torah from cover to cover and the cover to. But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, again, I, the, the Pharisees of their day uh, had many things to their advantage. Apparently what they didn't have was people marveled that Jesus has taught us one with authority because I believe his actions actually met up with his words and his articulation. Mm, 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 mm. So now you're getting back to our jury. You want the jury to evaluate not just the person's alleged beliefs, but what his life reveals. Yeah, but that's, to me, that is belief. Exactly. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. In fact, if you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, there's a very, I think it's 21 or 20, there's a very serious warning that, there to the overcomers or those who don't overcome. And the very first, the very first item on the list is those who, who really don't believe. So what is that talking about? Most American theologians construe that to mean those who have not given assent to uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, his death and that he's the Son of God. That's not what it means at all. 
It means those who are not following the word, the will, and the ways of God, revealing their belief. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what you were uh, referring to, but Revelation 2 talks about they'll be judged according to their deeds. Oh, boy. Revelation 20 talks about how, in fact, they will be judged for what they have done. And uh, that's not just a Keith Green song, that's just good stuff. And it's good stuff because it's right at the heart of Jesus. All right. So this then becomes a very serious issue for each of us if we're on the near edge of the second coming, doesn't it? No, absolutely it does. But there's a, I, don't want to, I don't want to look at it only selfishly. In other words, I worry about my soul. I worry about the American soul. I, I worry about the nations. I'm writing matter, about that right now in my 11th book. As we speak, so, just before this program. Well, beautiful. Listen, Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and be glorified by the Father who is in heaven. In other words, this has impact on the nations. When they Listen, I was, I was with an Indian brother one time over lunch. It was about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I asked him a question, just a simple question. I said, listen, uh, what is the major barrier to gospel proliferation in India? What keeps the gospel from just sweeping across India? He mm-hmm. says, audiovisual problems. I said, what? <laughs> he said, audiovisual problems. Audio, what they hear us saying, visual, they don't see us doing, and therefore they reject our Christ. And, Isn't that uh, amazing? Myself, That's poetry right there. And, but it, It's sad, but it's also good. If they're rejecting hypocrisy, then we ought to reject it with them. But that's not what Jesus is all about. Jesus, yeah. he by your entire life, do you wager on this gospel? Mm-mm-mm. Okay, friends. Whether you are easily receiving what is being said here or whether it's coming as challenging or whether you're saying, you know what, this isn't how I've been hearing it from my pastor or whatever, but this has the sound of truth to it. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody's theology. We're talking about truth. We're talking about life. That's what Jesus is about. Life. Life. The book, The Doctrine of Good Works, uh, Reclaiming a a Neglected Protestant Teaching. And we're going to find out why our guest today and those who are co-authors with him believe that it is neglected. How did it become neglected? The book is a $28 book, yours for $26. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, here are some questions. I'm reading from page 2. Is truly good and actually necessary, the doctrine of good works? Here we are. Are good works really important in the Christian life? Surely they are, but how are they important? Are they necessary for salvation? Not merely necessary for Christian witness, but truly necessary for salvation? Many contemporary evangelical Christians might respond with an unhesitating and emphatic no. Many might insist that such a denial was central to the Reformation and indeed essential to any true Protestant theology. After all, 
What was the Reformation about if it was not about salvation by grace rather than through works? But for much classical Protestant theology, the answers to such questions are resounding, not no, but yes. For many classical Protestant theologians, good works are necessary for salvation and not merely as the result or fruit or evidence of salvation. In other words, they are part of the whole issue. It's about life, friends. It's not about some isolated confession. It's about whether your life reveals your alleged faith or belief. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. We've just begun. Let's open up our minds and hearts. It might be important to you, maybe your family, maybe many in your sphere of influence. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. As we say regularly here on this program, Viewpoint determines destiny. And since we've set up the metaphor of speaking to a jury here today, and theoretically, you who are listening are the jury, and you're 12 reasonable men and women. In other words, you're going to judge reasonably. Jesus didn't expect us to judge unreasonably. He expected us to judge according to what he said and the spirit of what he said and the spirit of his disciples and what they said. And so, as we present this issue to a jury of our peers today, that is the relationship between works and salvation by grace through faith. We have to look at it from the complete perspective of what God is looking for. Is he looking for people to just make a confession or to sign a contract somewhere and then not perform the contract? What would we call such a person in the law? If I presented someone in a jury with a contract that the person that was standing before the jury to be judged would have to be determined as to whether or not they had done or fulfilled the contract. Well, if he signed the contract, did he do what the contract said? And if he didn't do what the contract said, did he really believe? Answer is no. He didn't really believe because he would have done what the contract said. Years ago, about 35 years ago, I was handling a civil case in the uh, Superior Court there in Pasadena, California. 
And in a settlement conference before the judge in chambers, it had to do with a, with a contract. And here's what the judge said to me. Matt, you're going you're gonna to bowl over when you hear this. Here's what the judge said. Remember, this is 35 years ago. He said, now, Charlie, he's the only one that ever called me that. Charlie, you know that contracts are made to be broken. You know that contracts are made to be broken. Is that what we really believe about our so-called walk of faith in trusting God? Really? And you think God is going to welcome you into his kingdom? You've got to be kidding me. We have a fancy theological term that describes this problem. It's called antinomianism. What does it mean, Matt? Yeah, lawlessness. Isn't that the description of the Antichrist? The lawless one? Yeah. So we want God to accept us when we diss his word. We reject his word to be doers of it because we just don't want to do it. We're antinomianisms, and we're just like Satan, aren't we? Help us, Jesus. Is that putting it pretty bluntly? That is putting it bluntly. I think one of the major problems we have here, Chuck, is just in prosperous cultures around the world, they're mm. the ones where revival's not sweeping across the land. Mm-hmm. In, 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 in cultures that are persecuted, you see the gospel on the move. In, in cultures that are impoverished, the gospel's on the move. And I just wonder if this thing doesn't come down to a couple of issues. And one of them is comfort, one of them is safety. And that is premier for too many of our gospel understandings. And that is simply, we want safety, we want comfort. I, I was reminded... One of our, I, I actually went and interviewed a, a number of pastors for this book to say, how do you get works going in your church? And we were talking to effective churches, and they were talking. One of the guys said, the problem is cul-de-sacs. I said, cul-de-sacs? <laughs> wait, 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 you're talking about cul-de-sacs. So yeah, man, city planners used to be crazy about cul-de-sacs. That is where you could have safety for your kids. You just have a nice little circle there, and everybody mm. send the kids out to run and play. But then we found out that more kids were dying in the cul-de-sacs than were dying out there on the busy street. <laughs> and the reason for that was everybody felt safe. They were just, they'd put their cars in reverse and ramble on down and hit each other. Wow. And the fact of the matter is, this guy was saying that's what it is with churches. We establish our churches for safety and safety first and safety only, but we find out that that hurts us spiritually far more than it helps us. Listen, Chuck, the gospel is not safe. The gospel is not comfortable. And if we ever make it safety and comfort first, then we have lost the essence of Jesus and the essence of the book of Acts and the essence of the entire 66 canonical books. Well, take this quote from Jesus. If you're not willing, whosoever is not willing to take up his cross daily and follow me cannot be my disciple. Right. What about that don't we understand? Uh, well, cannot be. I, I, I understand it perfectly. I understand that, uh, you know, denying yourself isn't any fun. Uh, the taking up the cross, that's going to be painful. And following yeah. Jesus means I don't follow me anymore. Well, now you know body. what my problem is in this 11th book that I'm writing called When Persecution Comes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Addressed primarily to Western and American Christians, we're not prepared for anything. 
hey, listen, I, I and I, but I don't, <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, I, I used to have a radio show myself, Chuck, and uh, had on a guy from China written a book, and uh, I said, listen, I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? Do I pray that persecution goes away? He said, no, 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 don't do that. He says revival is on the march here in China because of persecution. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of persecution, right? But I got, I have to admit that Jesus is on the move here, and we're much more uh, open to him because of the persecution. If it ever gets comfortable in China to be a Christian, that likely will end the gospel in China. I thought, my, mm, I, at that point, I don't even know how to pray. I said, Jesus, just be with my friend. Yeah, may he be yeah. A, may he make disciples. Whoa. We're talking about real-life uh, Christianity. We're not talking about churchianity now. We're talking about real-life Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, we used to sing a song uh, about following Jesus. Uh, we also used to sing, All to Jesus I Surrender, All to Him I Freely Give. That doesn't uh, hold much weight today in American churchianity because we've got too much uh, safety and too much comfort uh, to take that meaningfully, don't we? Yeah, well... I again, I blame because I am a pastor. I blame pastors for that. I say uh, the song as we have taught it is ten percent I give to Jesus, ten percent I freely give. I surrender. That's okay. that's the problem right there. Yeah. Listen, I want my people to tithe, but God wants more than ten percent of your money. Yeah, he wants it all. He wants all of me. All he wants is you. All he wants is you. Not just a part. He wants all of your heart. All he wants is you. Okay. He wants your money, he wants your sexuality, he wants your power, he wants your relationships, he wants your family, he wants your vocation, he wants it all. And and getting back to what we previously talked about, Chuck, yeah. that's what faith is. Belief is with your whole life, not just with the parts that are Sunday and, and, and church. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now you quote so many different uh, people and uh, things in your book. One of those caught my attention is the Westminster Confession. Uh, it says that those who have done the good works that are the fruit unto holiness will finally have the end eternal life. In other words, another way of saying that is those who have not done the good works fruit unto holiness will not have eternal life. Isn't that what it says? Yeah, so, and that's why, that's why we're making the case, but it's not our case. It's the case we believe of the Bible, and it's the case of the early Reformers. No one said it more powerfully than Martin Luther. What did no he say? More... Well, so beware, God will not ask you at, the, at your death and at the last day how much you've left in your will. Have you given this or given that? He will say to you, I was hungry and you gave me no food, naked, and you did not clothe me. Take these words to heart. Now, we got a number of Luther quotations in there. Yep. He said it was powerfully. God like Theodore Beza, who was, you know, uh, the, probably the most famous Calvinist outside of John Calvin is saying that good works are necessary for salvation. Lucas Trocasius was a, a, a colleague and opponent of Arminius at Leiden, noted that it's it's essential to have good works or judgment. I mean, the guys that said this most powerfully were the Reformers, after, of course. Which is amazing because the Neo-Calvinists today are some of the strongest resistors to obeying God which is why the book was written. I'm standing back in the back of a room at Evangelical Theological Society, and uh, my friend Tom McCall, who's a theologian that participated in this book, says, man, I got so many friends 
that have weaponized the word works. Yeah. He looks over at me and says, would you like to write a book with me on works? That's where the book was born probably about three years ago. And uh, <sighs> it's a necessary book because it's not just a marginal issue of this. It's central. And the guys that said it most powerfully were the folks that today you think you, you would think that they're the Calvinists of today. And mm-hmm. that's just not uh, boy, if they If they only knew what the reformers were saying back then, I think a lot of Calvinists today would say, whoa, wait a minute. Are yeah. you serious? Well, here, here's a quote from uh, Luther himself. He says, what happens if good works do not accompany justification? His response is unmistakably clear. Here are his words. If good works do not follow, then faith is false and not true. In other words, mm. your alleged confession is not true. Yeah, it gets back to that audio-visual problem, right? You can yeah. say, yes, I believe all you want, but if you do not have good works shining before them in such a way that they might see them, then guess what? You, uh, you're you not a man, you're not a woman of faith. Well, this uh, actually goes to some other theological issues, like uh, uh, something that's even more strongly adhered to by some, and that is the concept of eternal security. Uh, in other words, uh, the, the belief that you can make a confession of faith today and uh, 20 years from now you can completely reverse on your life direction and uh, refuse to do the works of him that called you, and you're still in like Flint. Do you think God is going to have that kind of re- rebel in his kingdom? Listen, if, if anybody would dare buy the book and look at it, there's quote after quote after quote on there from the early Calvinists that said, what good works do is it, it's an external testimony of faith, but it confirms your own election to salvation. Oh, now wait a minute. Now you've used another magical word, election. Whoa. Now we're really getting into it. Matt, you have no idea. I never thought that when I agreed to do this interview that we would really have such a great time digging into it. But we are. This is important for all of us. We'll be right back, friends, the Doctrine of Good Works on our website. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. So glad that you joined us here on Viewpoint today. We're not talking about becoming heretics. We're talking about undoing belief systems that really have been based upon more, you might call, soundbite theology that has been perpetrated over decades and generations and is inconsistent 
with the word, the will, and the ways of God, both from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Wrong understanding, particularly in the Western mind and heart set. We just don't get it. Isn't it interesting that when the word believe is used in the New Testament, oftentimes, instead of it being used as it is in the King James Version, it's translated obey. Those who did not obey. Those who did not obey. Those who did not obey. Now let's think about that in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. You know, he talks about straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and precious few that find it, and so on. But then he goes on and he says, not everyone who says unto me, in other words, who makes a confession, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom. So who does he, who does Jesus say is going to inherit the kingdom at the end of the age? Those who do the will of my Father. Did you hear the word do? In other words, that's something that you and I are responsible to do. And how do we do that? By faith, through the grace of God that enables us to obey his will. Isn't that what we're supposed to do, Matt? Absolutely. And I love my translation I'm looking at. It. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And whoever does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And I just, uh, I think... We need to act on what Jesus asks, asks of us. What he asks of us, by the way, is sometimes just wonderful and what an incredible blessing. It's enjoyable, and sometimes he asks things of us that are hard, mm-hmm. that might make us bleed, that might make us run to the sound of the pain. But I will suggest to you, Chuck, no matter what it does to us, there's the abundant life. That's where the good life is. That's where the sweet spot of Jesus is. Yeah. We want to be there. We do want to be there, and those who are there at the end of the race are called the elect. We're going to get into that in just a moment, friends. The the book today, The Doctrine of Good Works, $26 will put this book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. I urge you to get it, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Write a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, yes, it's still the gospel of grace by faith. But it's God's grace is not his willingness to overlook our foibles and our sins. That's not his grace. His grace is his favor, unmerited favor, to enable us to do his will. It's a functional thing. It's a transitive thing. Not an intransitive measure, but a transitive thing. It's about action. God wants to equip us to do his will. Is that not right, Matt? That he wants that Because, listen, that's what's good for us. That's what's good for the kingdom. That's what brings honor to him. It, it's, it's such a beautiful thing if we'll just do it. But there's, there's something about us, and I think... It's the prosperity of our culture mm-hmm. that gets us to be thinking in other categories altogether. Yeah. Rather than doing the will of the Lord, we've just got so much abundance, we want to enjoy the abundance, but it's the abundance of the world, and we've got to be very wary of it. Very wary of it. And that brings us back to this uh, word, um, elect. You use the word, and 
I think it is one of the most misunderstood words in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses it. uh, And here's the situation. The question is, are we God's elect when we begin the race and get to the starting blocks and the gun goes off? Or are we God's elect when we cross the finish line? Which is it? I think it's when we put our faith in Christ. And that that is done not because we're smarter than anybody else. It's done by God's grace. Right. Prevenient grace. The grace that goes before enables us to be able to do that. Exactly. Or not to do it if we so choose. Enables us Uh, to run the race. So the Apostle Paul says, look, uh, I don't count myself to already have arrived. He didn't even count himself to be elect already. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's running the race. He's still running the race. He's not making any claims to already have arrived. He says, no, I'm in this race with you. We're pressing for the mark. And quite frankly, we don't celebrate a single person who begins a race who quits along the way unless for some reason they're injured and even often then that person will find a way to cross the, the the finish line. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for us to press toward the mark and keep on pressing, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love how you kind of started this whole interview, Chuck, and it's uh, to your credit. It's it's a love thing. It's a it's a love race. It's a yeah, race of love. It is. And, you know. When, when Jesus is challenged on those things, and when he challenges other people, hey, what, uh, what is it? What's the essence of Torah? And, you know, they'll say, love the Lord your God with all, 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 all. And love your neighbors, you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people forget the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The eventual answer is the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. And that is there's someone bleeding and dying, and there is, in your community, somewhere, someone is bleeding and dying. Someone is hurting. Someone is in pain. Might be spiritual pain, emotional pain, mental health pain, physical pain. And Christians have always thought it is our duty to run to them, to comfort them, to help them, to give them a hand up. But Jesus, in this particular Good Samaritan story, says, who is it? Who's the neighbor? The one who showed mercy to him. Jesus then said, go. And mm, do the mm, same mm, thing. Mm, mm, mm. And there you go. And that's the love of neighbor dynamic, but it's also the answer to what must I do to inherit eternal life? Exactly. Okay. Jesus said, look, uh, what does it mean to love me? Hmm. John 14, four times he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Hmm. If you don't love me, you won't. But if you do love me and keep my commandments, I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. John, the beloved disciple, said, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and they're not grievous. So here's my problem. Here's the issue that we face. Over the past seven or eight years, I have asked many a pastor and parachurch leader on this program live, what do you think is the most hated word in the church today? Only one was the exception. All others said the word obey. It's deemed a four-letter word in the church today. The very thing, the very thing that Jesus said was the only way to please him and the Father 
is the thing we hate the most. What does that say about our alleged faith? One of the duties uh, in this book of mine was to go out find churches that had 20%, 20% of their people this week out in the fields, the harvest fields, running to the sound of the pain, going to people who are hurting, compassionate ministry, evangelism, 20%. I'm going to tell you, Chuck, it was almost impossible to find enough churches to do the book. Mm-hmm. They're hard to find because we, I, 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 we want to obey some things, apparently, like, We don't lie or cheat or steal. What we don't want to obey is get our hands dirty. Go go to the leper. Go to the sick. Well, we don't much want to obey a lot of other things either, and that's the reason why the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America for the past 20 years has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. But in this book, we're dealing with works of mercy in in large measure, and they're just hard to find churches for the case study. I mean, (laughs) almost impossible. And let me say since we took a swipe at Calvinism, one of the key churches in my community that is doing it is an, a, a Calvinist church. Uh-huh. They're getting it done. The Presbyterian PCA church is making it happen in the inner city of Jackson. So I want to listen. It's not a matter of what you believe with your head, because I do think it is a matter of what you believe with your head. But sure. far more than that, that 18 inches of getting down to your heart and then from your heart, there resides your will, and you better be doing something about getting out there and getting some things done that Jesus would be doing if he were here in the flesh today. Well, as you and indicated... And in the flesh today, but in the body of Christ, which Chuck is you, which is me, which is everybody listening to this program. Yeah. Well, what, what God wants us to do is flesh out our words, flesh out our professed faith. Isn't that when when Jesus was sent by the Father... He came for the purpose of making the word or the word becoming flesh. In other words, fleshing out what God expected. Now, Jesus said, when he ascended back to the Father, he said to those of us that remained, now, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. So he calls us to flesh out his word to obey his word, to flesh it out, to do the works of the kingdom of God, without which our faith is meaningless, worthless, and worthy to be trampled on, just like salt that has no savor. When you see it happening, it's going to happen because there's leadership that is leading by example in good works. And that means parents will lead. That means Sunday school teachers will lead. It means youth leaders will lead. It means pastors will lead. It means district superintendents will be out there mm. be doing this kind of thing. Yeah. It means bishops will be doing it, not just once a year at Christmas or Thanksgiving, but this is the regular mantra of our life. This and we're not talking we here about what people are. commonly call evangelism, going out with the four no. spiritual laws or something. We're talking about well, real life, aren't we? Uh, real life, but I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell you, the people that come to the Lord the most, and we had 10 last week, mm. came to know Jesus, Lord and Savior, it happened at a prison, or it'll happen at a nursing home, or it'll happen at that elementary school where we got a Bible club going, or it will happen out at the abortion clinic. I mean, these are or if hurting people are, if we will mm-hmm. reach out to hurting people, they're the most likely to say an emphatic yes to Jesus Christ and any other people in our community. Well, I'll tell you what, my brother, I give you a, a holy hug here over the airwaves all the way from Richmond, Virginia, to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. By the way, you and I learned just before the program 
that we have a longtime dear friend, John Perkins, who uh, has yeah. lived out this message uh, from, you know, first of all, he, he, he uh, law enforcement officers jabbed a fork up his nose uh, in, in prison, and then he began to live out forgiveness and so on, went to northwest Pasadena, uh, one of the worst areas in Pasadena where I practiced law for 20 years, and uh, became the first advisory uh, guide to this ministry. Now he's in Jackson, Mississippi, and he's your buddy. It's he is, amazing. He's a dear friend. But we dedicated the book to him. That's how much we think of him. Wow. Isn't that something, how the kingdom of God comes together? It's so such a beautiful thing. Pray for us quickly, will you? Lord, I'm just going to ask you to bless Chuck and uh, his listening audience, Lord Jesus, and make us doers of the word and not hearers only. Make us be people that will stand up and follow you to the ends of the earth and to our com- in, in our communities where there is pain and where we might be of aid and be of help. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Matt. You're a blessing, my friend, uh, you and your co-authors, Thomas McCall. Caleb Friedman, is he a relative? He is my relative. He's my firstborn son. Wow. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? The two of you uh, co-authors together, that's got to be a blessing. Yeah. Okay, friends, here's the deal. This uh, book is available to you. It's a $28 book. Here's for $26 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Friends, this is our moment of truth. We're in the hour of decision here. If indeed we're on the near edge of the second comic, we got to get this thing together. we got to understand things from God's viewpoint. Don't you think so? And remember, viewpoint always determines destiny. Yours does, mine does. And hopefully this program is determining destiny for many. God bless. Be a blessing. Become a provider. Become a uh, minister to us. Friend, get those uh, checkbooks out. Do, Do as God would have you to do to keep the message coming. We'll give you praise. The Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.